This is Link to the Cast, your weekly dose of video games and nerd culture ephemera available everywhere. Good podcasts are sold. I'm your party host, Dave Ryan. Jack Lazell away in assignment this week, rattled by Pep Guardiola, they say. But fear not, we are joined first by the handsome conduit, Mark Robinson. Mark, how are you? Did you know that making a video game is really fucking hard and really fucking stressful? No, I don't think so, mate. Oh, boy. You, you overlook certain things like, you know, you can have an idea for a game. You can have an idea for a mechanic and you can get that will down. And then you realize that you're going to lose a month to trying to figure out how to make menus work. People overlook a good menu and a good UI system. And I did as well because I have lost about a month and, and you know, the, the gray hairs are coming through more and more because of this fucking thing. <laughs> See, see, Mark, I don't know, because with the length of time that you've looked closely at the video game industry, I feel somewhat akin to, you know, that um, Dylan Morn bit about heroin, where he's like, you'd think the bad press would have got out by now <laughs> about it. <laughs> like, you don't really need to do the the warning about heroin. Like, we all know it's pretty bad. Ah, oh, um, man. Just you, I At a certain point, it's your own fault. Unsung hero. No, no, no. This is all a great idea. This is all still a fantastic idea. Everyone's going <laughs> to yeah, buy my game. That. It's all good. Loving life. Yeah. Loving life, yeah. hate bastards. Yeah, no, it's all good. It's all good. I'm, uh, you know, the 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 daunting specter that is the next two conventions I have uh, in under two weeks away, and my menu still doesn't work. Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm all good. I'm all gravy. Can't wait. Can't wait to be fucking, like, I shot across from uh, Baldur's Gate 3 at Dublin Comic Con. Um, that's going to be they? great. Hilarious. I was going to say I was just going to say, where where are these next two that people can go and see your new immaculate menus? Yes. Uh, if you are in Belfast at the end of the month, the 29th of February, we're on a leap year, and the 1st of March, uh, I will be at the Render Festival. Um, and then the week after, which is the March, March 9th and 10th, uh, I'm at Dublin Comic Con. Um, and there's a couple of other, um, yeah, uh, Larian Studios will be there. I don't know if they have Borders Gate 3, um, but I know they're there. Uh, and I'm also next to Warhammer as well. So my dumb little Vaporwave game is going to look just right at home next to those two. <laughs> what you do is you confuse people by putting a poster of Henry Cavill up at yours. And they'll think it's an extension of the Warhammer thing. And then once you've got <laughs> them in, you'll be like, ha ha ha. Or can, yeah. can you, have we reached the point of development where it would be too tough to superimpose Henry Cavill's face on the ball? I, I could do that in a moment's notice. Give me five Excellent. minutes now and I'll get it done. Excellent. DLC. Write it down, yeah? <laughs> Yeah, I'll uh, I'll check, downloadable check, cavil. I'll check with my non-existent lawyer about the issues <laughs> that may come along with that. I'm sure he'll be fine with it. Don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rounding us out, of course, the Rebel County's favorite son, Gary Kidney. How are you, my friend? I'm surprised Mark hasn't enlisted us to cosplay as the ball outside of his stands to gain attention away from what I presume will be lots of Baldur's Gate yeah. cosplays at Double Loon Comic Con. They're just a workshop sales pitch for them. Like, you like Baldur, do you? Well, I've got Baldur for you. I got Baldur, you. I will chat with you two gentlemen after this podcast is ended. (laughs) I'm doing fine. Reminder, if you ever want to know about the the absolute pains of video game development, what's Psych Odyssey? It's just, it's yeah, just, damn right. It will break your soul about video games. <laughs> I've, I've Mark, actually actively <laughs> refused to watch all of that because yeah. of that very reason. Yeah, when your game is out, then watch it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't think that would be helpful to your psyche at this point. Mm, it might be no. just... Well, that and also like every other day where it, everyone's like, there's no money in the industry. No one's investing in anything. Get out. Go do anything else. The ship is sinking. Yeah. Except but also, it will be completely different in three years. Yeah. Yes. How, how long is the development cycle there, Mark? <laughs> yeah. I, I this do, will be done like, by the end of the year. 
my heart does bleed a little bit for you every time that like it feels like every time I do the in case you missed it section on Twitter it's like layoffs <laughs> and if it's not layoffs it's even more kind of like uh like what was it the the UK and Japan both ended recession this week yes yes um, yes America probably to follow yeah yeah but hey look you, you you can't uh you know fire yourself so there's yeah, it's that true it's true I guess I could try it. See how that goes. <laughs> what is it? I wonder at some point did Phil Fish fire himself. Probably. <laughs> if someone was going to figure it out. Fired himself from public exposure, at least, anyway. Yeah, true enough. Hi, Garrett. Hi, um, oh, yeah. Garrett. Hey, you went to the right wrestling again. again. Did you Did you learn any new songs this time? Uh, no. What was it named this time? I don't even remember. Good lord. Just come to <laughs> us for your pop culture references, Garrett. Anytime yeah. you go to a wrestling show, just because I'm sure all of them now have a dumb pop culture reference in the, the name. Because there's still PWG 2014 we live in. Yeah, we can't move on. We are stuck in the past in every way. You'd think after Steen Wolf, people just wouldn't have bothered anymore. That did peak with Steen Wolf, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. Every it kitschy it progress did. name was just trying to keep up with Steen Wolf. Yeah. I still, I at least in the phase where some promotions were putting an effort and some weren't, I remember, I, think, I don't know if I've said it on this show, I've definitely said it on Days of Thunder before, where... I went to two Father T Father Ted themed wrestling shows in one weekend once. <laughs> and the one that was the Irish promotion put in significantly less effort where they called the show At Head. Whereas uh ICW, who ran the much worse show, I should say, uh had the much better name of It's Just a Big Stereo Hanging from a Tree, which is a, a much better reference. Mm. I think I just moved to Dublin. I think that was around that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Jay. You were at one of them at least well i remember being at an icw show that was still legitimately the worst show i've ever been to in dublin in dublin it was at yeah the, that's the, the only Academy. one they did in dublin yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's, so you were at both of them then that yeah, yeah, yeah yeah good uh, stuff yeah i believe that's the i believe that was our, both of our first ott show and you went home early because you were sleepy of course because you still didn't have a key yet to take mine i remember this <laughs> <laughs> past 11 o'clock can't be had this is that's my come curfew on, come on now can't be arsed those ott shows were very long yeah i think you already beat, you already beat me home by like 40 minutes <laughs> hey anyway. those, those 40 minutes count let me tell you we move on because i cannot wait any longer <laughs> i cannot wait any longer for this chomping up the bit in the long history of contrarian takes on this program from all of us some more than others i have yet seen a sentence that staggered me more than madam webb is actually good yeah and at this point i've given the floor to garrett because firstly no uh have you seen it dave I'm going to see it tomorrow. Don't you say... Because this is what has happened with this movie. The moment this movie was announced, everybody decided it was bad. Then the trailer happened, and everybody decided it was bad. Well, because the trailer was bad. Before anything else, because we've all seen the trailer. The trailer was bad. (laughs) First, the trailer was bad. Secondly, among those people saying it's bad since it was announced, are the cast of the movie. I think... (laughs) <laughs> there is like this bizarre thing going on with this movie where people are pretending this movie isn't trying to be funny. And I feel like I'm being gaslit having actually seen it. Because like this movie is trying to <laughs> be funny. You feel like you're being gaslit. <laughs> yeah. But like you're every telling, day. You would tell me this is like the rom-com of the year or something. But like every day I see like a clip from this movie of what a thing that was 
a joke in the movie and people being like, it's so funny because it's weird. It's like, it's trying to be. It's like, there's so many parts of this movie. Like, there is a moment in this movie where Madam Webb realizes that being part of being bitten by a spider gives you wall calling powers, or at least for some people. And then she's like, you know what? I've never tried crawling on a wall. <laughs> and then she tries to crawl on the wall and then slowly slumps to the floor. And if you watch that scene and don't realize what this movie is trying to be, I don't know how I can help you. Because it's like, it's a weird, silly, awkward, kind of irreverent movie without being cynical. And I like, I, I think it's the thing we ask we did all these superhero movies to be and then this film is and then we give out about it. Like there is no end of the world stakes. There is pretty much no CGI at all in a meaningful capacity. There is some pretty bad stuff right at the very, very end of the movie. There's some real bad costumes right at the end. The movie's a little long, but like it's a, just a normal, straightforward story. And, and like, listen, I saw reviews saying this film is confusing, to which I say you're stupid. <laughs> like, there's, there's no way. The, the entire thing of this film is there is a guy who has a vision of the future to see the, that, that people will kill him. He goes to hunt them other person sees the future tries to help them that's the entire story you can explain it in 10 words if you come out of this movie being like i didn't understand what was happening you're just stupid i'm sorry unless you reject the premise that everyone in this movie gets powers by being bitten by spiders in which then you have to reject the entire canon of spider-man i'm afraid that's the entire thing here everyone's getting bitten by spiders everybody's getting superpowers that's the entire gimmick of the entire series but it's i don't know it's not Citizen Kane, but it's, I've never actually seen Citizen Kane. Uh, but, but, <laughs> Most people who say that it, haven't seen it, it as well. Explain your barometer for quality. <laughs> it is a nice little movie. I think the thing that would makes this movie make sense is like S.J. Clarkson, the director, is a person who came from soap operas. Like she directed a bunch of doctors, a bunch of casualty, a little bit of EastEnders. And I think when you keep that in mind when you watch this movie, that like there is like a soap opera sensibility to it. I think you'll have a good time. I do How not the fuck understand do you go from that to a superhero film. That is that is a one-two transition. Uh, she did some of the the Netflix stuff as well. She eventually, I think, did some Jessica okay. Jones and some Defenders, which was like oh, her, okay, her okay. path through. It, it, I will say it just in case. I, I imagine Mark hasn't been talked into a ticket, but two of the screenwriters are the screenwriters for Morbius. <laughs> well, I still haven't seen Morbius, because, so... Because, as was remarked on Twitter this week, if you're a Sony executive and you see Dr. Michael Morbius, you say, do you know what? These guys deserve another crack of the whip. <laughs> <laughs> like, for all we memed about Morbius, I thought Morbius was pretty boring. I didn't even think it was, like, fun. It's like, it's just kind of boring. Except when he whooshes you with his hands, you, that bit was good. Was say, you say a movie full of whooshing and bat wang tubes, <laughs> and you said, that's not entertaining to me. Well, you just don't know cinema, sir. Because, like, the only way in which you can enjoy Morbius is ironically, because it's bad. I don't think that's true of Madame Web. I think it's actually a nice little movie. It's crazy yeah. to me that people are like, this is the worst superhero ever. Yeah. Like, if you were like Garrett, you can have superhero movies made like Ant-Man Quantumania for the rest of time, or superhero movies made like Adam Madame Web. I would take Madame Web 
every goddamn day of the week. Same if you're like, Garrett, you could have superheroes movies made like uh, Aquaman 2 until the end of time. Or movies like Madam <laughs> Web. I take Madam Web. People I, are making like much way, more shite than this. <laughs> I like the way to try and make your argument. You very subtly tried to have us not notice that you pulled two of the objectively worst that, superhero but films of the last 10 years. That's kind mix. of my point though, Dave. Like my point is like, that there are that so many worse <laughs> movies than this. It's, the idea it's that worst, this it's is at the worst bottom. the fourth worst. <laughs> like the idea that this is the bottom of the well for superhero movies is crazy. It's fine. I mean, it's I, good I, I fun. Do, this I movie ends in a literal I, fireworks factory. They go to a <laughs> fireworks factory and everything explodes. How do you not get what this is i don't understand i will say you have committed uh to giving this three stars on letterboxd yes of my friends on letterboxd who have rated it you've rated as the highest by a full star yeah those people are wrong they, they went into it in bad faith and just because like it, it, legitimately there was like they, a, a four they, minute they montage start. on twitter of, of like funny moments from this movie and people were laughing at them and most of them were just jokes it's like you're laughing at the movie's jokes why are you pretending it's not trying to be funny i'm going crazy dave <laughs> i can't wait to see which side of this i fall on um <sighs> I'm, I wouldn't hold out too much hope, Garrett, because you see, you are definitely the biggest fan of Madam Web I've ever seen. Like, Dakota Johnson's uh, media tour for it is fucking sensational. Now, okay, <laughs> that is like, a, like a, a bizarre modern art piece. It's like... Her, so is she's this like, movie. <laughs> no, are you saying this I, is like I, the Freddy Got Fingered of superhero yeah, movies? Like, I, is I, it deliberate or is it not? Because there is a thing about Dakota Johnson where every time you watch her, she is either terrible or doing the best bit you've ever seen. And you can't really tell. So when you actually watch this movie, this movie is kind of an extension of that. But I think if you actually look at this movie, it's very clearly this movie is trying to be like a little bit silly, a little bit off the wall and not taking itself particularly seriously. And then everyone comes out saying like it deeply serious but i laughed at it it's like you laughed at it because it's funny there's funny jokes do, do you oh, think you that partially first, there's there's scary kidney thinks dakota johnson is better than andy kaufman yeah <laughs> do, you, do you think the partially <laughs> part of this is that there's like a perennial stink around like the sony spider-man cinematic universe wrongfully so called. as well mark well, robinson the two venoms fucking rock morbius well, is shit a, but the two venoms are yeah. great <laughs> So I mean, that people, first hour of Venom's a bit rough. But then like, people, okay. people pretend people that like Venom, Venom isn't funny on purpose either. People are like, oh, I'm laughing at it. It's like, you're meant to. You think this dopey freaking yeah. buddy comedy between Venom and the dude isn't meant to be funny? It's I meant did to think, be funny. I, I, I did forget with that first Venom film, the bit where Venom goes, uh, on my own planet, I'm kind of a loser too. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's the angle we're going with Venom. All right, then. It's the, silly. People the, the pretend I... these films are meant to be serious and they're not. And it drives me crazy. The one thing I will say um, with regards Venom being dragged into this is that mm -hmm. I can find more people than Garrett that like Venom. Uh, well, I have yet. See... I, I have yet. I have yet. With the greatest respect, sir, I have yet to find a second person who likes Madame Web. You see, this is where I will be the the Twitter person who's like, it's actually sexism, Dave. Because this is <laughs> yeah. this is female led that people are are like oh I can't take I can't I'm pretending this is deathly I, serious so that, I can laugh at even though I, I'm laughing at the way I, it's meant to be laughed at. <laughs> I would tolerate your incredible angle to take on this. Were it not for the fact the internet, there is nothing the internet is more willing to do than love a movie with Sydney Sweeney in it right now. Well, yeah. 
it's a nice movie. So, it's a nice little movie. It's a good I'll time. You, I'll tell you unless what. you're a deeply joyless human being who can't find fun in Ellen Dakota a chance at reading the, the stupidest the first, lines completely the, sincerely. The, the first two, the first two reviews that come up on my letterbox are: this makes Morbius look like the Godfather. Morbius um, is boring. Morbius is boring. We, we can't Among pretend Morbius is, is like Morbius because uh, Morbius isn't even interesting enough to be bad. It's just kind of boring. The, the other one that I enjoyed was I was at the dentist today for an hour and a half with Imagine Dragons playing in the background the whole time, and I can't believe that wasn't the most painful experience I had today. These people um, are just fishing for their letterbox likes, like deeply cynical, uh, empty-brained individuals following the herd. Dave, <laughs> I, I have no idea who your friends well, are. Call them out. But... One, one thing I could never accuse you of is following the herd, my friend. You yeah. match the beat of your own drum. On There's this just show. like it's easy likes to dunk on this film at the moment, so I'm gonna do it. And it's like it's, it's fine. It's not. It's a nice little movie. I had a good time. It's too long, but it's silly. I will say, um, as well. In, in closing my thoughts on this before I see it and I cannot wait to have round two of this next week <laughs> is this going to become the new Morbius of the podcast who's to say but um, before you even saw it Garrett as soon as the embargo lifted within 24 hours of the embargo lifting I went from I'm I could not be arsed even th- this movie has no real estate in my brain to I need to see this movie <laughs> I am one way or the other I need to see this movie. Whatever I end up thinking about it, I need to know it's real. Uh, I'm firmly team Adam Webb. You made a nice, solid little silly movie. Well done. And all you people thinking you're so smart laughing at it are actually, you're just laughing at jokes from the movie. That's all you're uh, doing. Well, uh, I might not well, see it through legitimate means, but I, I promise both of you I will I will see this film so I can have a take and pick a side. Let's, let's switch to a tonally very similar movie. I watched The Iron Claw last weekend. <laughs> I've also <laughs> seen The Iron Claw, but I figured I'd talk about the important one. <laughs> Another romp that's all about a family of sorts. Mm-hmm. The rare movie in which you see the words based on a true story and they've actually toned it down. <laughs> like, they have. They have. I heard about this beforehand. It was like that they actually smoothed some things over because the real story of the Von Erics is such a bummer that cinema audiences would reject it as being fake. Yeah, and like you do, listen, like I think it is pretty disrespectful to just literally cut a Von Erich. That's kind of, yeah. it's a bit rude. But like watching it as like a piece of art, you're like, oh, I do get it. Like the second I mean, they start dying, you're like, oh, it's too much. To go spare, it's fine. And there is like stuff like, like David loses a kid after like three months and then gets divorced. There's all that kind of stuff that they're like, we can't touch that. It's just too much. Yeah. There is and too really, much depression in this movie. Yeah, they really speed up the Kerry's descent into, you know, into between accident and death. And they uh, they kind of smooth over the whole him being afraid of going to jail. And yeah, there's a there's there's a lot of like where they obviously just went, no, you know what? They got the idea. It's fucking bleak and Fritz is shit. Yeah. And even like like they they don't not depict drugs and steroids in this movie. But they, they well, yeah. To be fair, there is one scene of them just very quietly sitting around yes. injecting themselves. But they do very much like put it to the side of the reason all of these guys died, and it's it's probably a little toward the center of the reason all these guys died. Yeah, I mean, I thought like it, it just on the people being on the gas thing, like just um, Zac Efron is. Um, I hope he's all right. 
Um, he's, I, like he is uncomfortably large in this movie. Like look, looking at him like, felt unpleasant to my eyes. He had the he had the roid belly. Like like he'd I, been a guy on the road for forty years. I, mm. I did watch I did watch a, uh, one of the like the promotional videos. I don't know if it was like GQ or one of them, but they were talking about like uh, one of the specific wrestling scenes and talking about how to like make it work. And I was looking at Zac Efron and I was like, hey, you have an astonishingly square face at the moment that you didn't used to have. And B, you look like you're kind of struggling to talk because I don't know if there's like so much muscle yeah. mass around your face, yeah, I but know, yeah. like your mouth is not opening the way that a mouth usually he, opens. He got so, ju- like, I mean, <laughs> uh, look, I was going to say I don't want to make fun of him, but he works for a piece of shit company. Like he's, he got so unnaturally jacked. He's got Shawn Michaels eye for half the movie. Jesus. Did anyone else notice this? Like, I mean, I've all, not like, seen it yet. Sorry. One of his eyes is almost completely shut. Like, he's that hench. Boy. You know? Yeah, it's super... Oh. The weird thing, like, it's a, the Von Erichs were insanely jacked, but they didn't look like that. Like, that's not how yeah. they looked like. Why are you getting no. yourself to that level? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The only one, I will say, the, the one who hauntingly looks like who he plays is Jeremy Allen White's Kerry. Like he's right, he the one to that looks two feet to his character. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, but they do a good. The only person who I think, in terms of like their actual real life height, it actually took me out of the movie was uh, Bruiser Brody. Is just the same height as a normal human being in uh, in this movie. Um, they didn't like do any sort of camera trickery to make him seem enormous or anything like that. I also. It was such a rib on the uh, the audience who know wrestling coming in that the first person you see wrestling in it is Chavo Guerrero. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, WCCW's own Chavo Guerrero. But the, the best was uh, Lee asked me, "Is like, oh, is he playing? Um, is he playing his father in a Chavo classic? Because that would make sense, you might say. Uh, no, he was playing the original Sheik. The resemblance is uncanny." <laughs> Uncanny. They should have got the cat. Uh, to be back. fair, th- there is a lot of bad wrestler. Like the Harley Race actually is pretty good, but the, yeah, like, the Harley Race guy is bang on. Yeah, yeah. but the God the Flair and I like listen. I actually, so bad. I think it's almost interesting the idea of playing Flair without doing a Flair impression, which is what he's trying yeah. to do. But it's yeah. also really, 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 really bad. That's just like because you can't do Flair. Like, yeah, oh, it's like, impossible. Famously, only Jay Lethal can yes. do Flair that well. <laughs> um, so, it, like, knowing that you can't do Flair in a way that would work for the movie, you kind of have to go somewhere else. But he went to a place. Uh, he, he went to that place Edge goes to. I'm assuming, um, <laughs> because it was not a place I enjoyed. Because um, you, you, you have so to at least capture the spirit of Flair, and he just didn't. Yeah. It was really bad. Oh, also, gentlemen, is this way, film good? It's amazing. Uh, okay. Um, I loved it. I loved it. I, I think Greg. the source material is Garrett, excellent. Garrett, no. Garrett, I, I, Garrett, I, I, Garrett, I, I, Garrett, no, Garrett. No, 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 no. I rated the film higher than Madame Web. It's okay. It's a half star better than Madame Web. No. No, Garrett, no. You're not doing this to me. Where's the... Am I being punked? Is that what you're... Where's Kutcher? The tragedy of the source material, I think, carries the movie more than the actual filmmaking does. I, I, I think there there is ways you could have told this story that would have been significantly more interesting in terms of, like, 
what like th- th- this film focuses way too much on the idea of the curse for me and i get why they do that from kevin's perspective but like that's not why they died <laughs> like you, you fixate on this idea that they're cursed and it's like no they had a fucking abusive father and a culture of wrestling that had like drugs and steroids everywhere and they were on the road all the time until they died <laughs> i would disagree with that because i think the film very much portrays quite well that it's just kevin is obsessed with that idea well and i suppose fritz to an extent uh with the idea that it's a curse like everybody else in the movie every time the curse is brought up they're like that's fucking nonsense but that's it's not a curse but because because they have to make it from kevin's perspective for very clear reasons yeah. like that, that it has to be a story about kevin but like because the story is about kevin it was like you, you, like i understand you bringing up the curse because like okay but that's that's not why any of these guys died and that's yeah it's but silly have, to focus like, on that for the actual movie and I, I i think it undercut like the actual like the, the 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 capacity for this film to truly move somebody i think was undercut and other than to be like jesus fuck it's depressing that all these guys died that that is my prevailing feeling from watching the movie as opposed to having like a true understanding of why do you I think the whole like Von that. Eric curse that they sent more on that or anchor more on that to I don't know make it kind of something that like a a casual or normie or someone oh, who doesn't watch wrestling casual. can come into it? And no, because no, like again, like I said, like multiple characters throughout the movie, like every time Kevin brings it up, people are like, "That's bullshit." But they keep, but like, they keep it's going not back real. to Kevin doing it. But, but like, he's going back to the, Kevin doing it, but Kevin isn't exactly portrayed as a fucking brain genius in this movie. Well, no one is. That's, like, that's the problem. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, like to me, it, it was, that's like, it's, to me, it was even more tragic because it's this guy who's trying to struggle for some sort of reason to, like, to ignore the reality of it, to go, it can't be this. It can't be. Because he's one of the people that, in spite of everything Fritz did to him, like, he just didn't fucking just kept you know through multiple brothers dying was just like you know yes pop yes sir no sir you know um yeah it just underscored the tragedy for me that he's just like trying to grasp for something that rather than accept the reality of what happened to all of them uh, it just made me really really sad and that's something that like also is a trait that whether he maybe wishes to accept it or not that fritz very much had like because there's this like awful scene when david dies where they're sitting on the porch the night of the funeral and fritz instead of consoling his sons who just lost their brother or himself who just lost his son he's like right well david's clearly not going to wrestle for the nwa world heavyweight title so um which yeah. uh, put the coin, guys. Which one of you? Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like, so. But, uh, oh, actually, I that's, that's, that a, that's a question. Do they treat wrestling as a worker or, or shoot in this? There's uh, there's a weird scene where they go like pretend that Kevin is going into business for himself on Flair to take out the anger of that. Like that's a little weird. It's like, oh, guys, come on. But for the most part, yeah. it's a work. There is yeah, a little. Even... There is a little bit where they're like, actually, no, that bit was real. It's like, come on. They even they even have like a bit. It reminds me of like an equivalent scene in the wrestler where like there's four of the guys backstage literally laying out the match um but yeah apart from that kind of dramatic embellishment for that flare match um it's it's pretty much played yeah it's like it's a work you know and that like which 
again makes it even sadder that the one person that's taking it more serious than everyone in the world is Fritz von Erich to the point of burying multiple children over this fucking belt. You know? Um, I was thinking about how, like, that belt meant so much to him and the idea of his family getting that belt and then Jeff Jarrett just wins it six times. It's like, come on. See, now, this is more on brand with what I thought you'd come out of that film with. It's like, what did you spend the Iron Claw thinking about? Two-time champion from the Truth Killings. And, and Garrett, I would be lying if in the scene where Jerry Jarrett shows up, I wasn't thinking of you. Oh, uh, that's nice. The Jerry is pretty good too, actually. Uh, yeah. But yeah, like for me, I think the average person will come out of this movie thinking, God, that was an isolated tragedy. And it wasn't. Like, it, it was a yeah. culture that killed these people. And I just don't think the film captured that for me. Because again, like, if we go back to the, it's Kevin's story. It's like, Kevin isn't telling the story about his culture. He's telling the story about his brothers. Yeah, but, but like, you know? you're telling the story from Kevin's perspective, but it's, mm. it's the story of the family. And I think it's they do a, good a really movie. good job of. I think they do a really good job on Fritz as well. Mm. Well, like, the, the, I, there are people who are like that, like they, they let him off the hook, but they, they do make his evilness yeah, more. It's, it's it's more like subtext yeah. manipulation than him being yeah. outright evil, which I, by all accounts he was he was more outright evil than, yeah. than subtext manipulation. Like he is more like the pressure father leading on his kids, and mm. I, like they don't go into like the the the, the like true financial incentive that man had yeah. for for pushing his children they, as hard as he did. They do have the the one scene where like they show how he was cooking the books to mm. steal money from his children. Yeah, when they were dying in rings for him. Like, um, there, there's a lot of listen. I, I think this this would have been probably much better served ultimately as like an eight episode miniseries than like a two what two mm. ten two twenty ish. Because like once yeah. once they start dying, they really start dying, and like, <laughs> like, yes. like like that's the story. But like literally, it's just like once David goes, it's like they literally death 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 death, and it, like it's yeah. it's like the last 40, 50 minutes of the movie. Is just them all dying one after another. So, which is the reason I do get from an artistic perspective why they're like we can't include the other kids. It's just, it's just yeah. too much for the audience to actually. But like, um, it's good movie, good performances. Hey, uh, but hey, I, I, I do think it, it is the subject matter carrying it more than the filmmaking. Here is a, a good question to see if Mark can get the can guess the answer to this right uh, to wrap this up. Is uh, who do you think? What wrestler from this era do you think Ryan Nemeth plays in this movie? I don't know, like... Uh, if, he get, if he gets this, I might actually be floored. Buddy Lane. I don't know. He plays Gino Hernandez. Yep, that's that's a one-to-one. Sure. <laughs> it is, right. isn't it? Yeah. I actually, I didn't even notice MJF's little scene. Yeah, you, you don't see his... You see, like, the wig and you see his body... Like, you recognize it as MJF's movements. And the thing you're meant to be looking at that in that scene is is Kevin on the apron anyway. So, like, he is literally in the background. Well, he's technically in the foreground, but he's in the background while being in the foreground. Yeah. Um, It is better than Madam Web, Dave. It's okay. It's a better movie than Madam Web. I I, I will tell you that by by a whole half star. star. It's a half star better, but... Is this how we're going to review films from going forward? Is it better or worse than Madam Web? Yes. (laughs) Higher or lower. Um, I've been on a Jeremy Allen White buzz, coincidentally. You looked into those eyes screening. once, and you're like, I must I must look into like, that man's eyes. Like, those every, every time that man, like, because the bear does it all the time as well, which is spoilers, that's what Dave's about to talk about. But, like, yeah. every time, they, like, they, they just shoot, like, slow zooms on that man's eyes. It's like, I'm getting lost yeah. there for, like, two, two minutes. Yeah. 
oh look mate you're not alone there um, you're like 85 seasons of shameless if it helps as well for that well, i was gonna i was gonna swerve gareth and go i've been watching shameless this week actually gareth <laughs> but I, i've never i've never seen one minute of shameless so it's good, it's good uh, either version to be fair um yes i've been watching the bear i'm a season and a half a season and a half into it i felt like one of the last people in western society who keeps up with tv who hasn't watched the bear oh my uh, god so what was the last episode you watched um oh jesus oh it's the one where uh where where cousin goes to the the proper like two michelin star restaurant and learns what it's actually like to work in a restaurant okay so like you, proper... you've watched the two bear episodes then because like that back-to-back yes. combo of fishes which is like the most like depressing hour-long television with like insane guest stars and then forks which is like the most uplifting piece of television you will ever watch in yeah. your life like back-to-back as two pieces of entertainment just astounding from the same it's show unbelievable it's, a, it's such a fucking great show. It's funny because, like, my perspective from the outside before I watched it was that it's like a cameo fest. But I, I then learned very quickly when I watched the Fishes episode, it's like oh, all the cameos everybody talks about, it's almost all of them are one episode. Yeah. Uh, also learning that um, uh, when I we talked during COVID about how I got really into, like, food YouTube for a while. And finding out that uh, that that actual chef Matty Matheson is not only an exec producer but a character in this show, <laughs> a recurring character, I was like, hell yeah! I was like, I love Matty Matheson. He's for those who don't know him, he's a fac in the show, uh, which is really funny. It's like a good running bit that they have an actual professional chef on the show not playing a chef mm. he's just playing like the fucking handyman he's like hey guys can i help you out in the kitchen and they're like no <laughs> uh it's good it's good shit um yeah i think um jeremy allen white is like fantastic and uh, the show is so well written so well ra- so well acted uh, i love uh the uh the reigning queen of ireland ao at every is brilliant in it um and uh, the new uh, the new Ben Grimm from the Fantastic Four. It's <laughs> yeah, such week. a funny piece of casting, isn't it? <laughs> it's so. I mean, I'm like, I wish Jack was here to talk about because I'm so into that casting for Fantastic Four. Uh, I, I really, really like it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, God, it's such a brilliant show. I don't get. Well, I I sort of do, but when people talked about. Um, you know, because it was in all the comedy categories for, like, the Globes and stuff like that both years. And people were like, oh, it's not a comedy at all. And people were like, oh, my God, it's so, it, it, like, anxiety-inducing and things like that. And I was like, I get that there's a couple of, there's a particular episode where Carmi has a fucking meltdown in the kitchen. um, And, like, everybody else is freaking out. And it's really stressful and shit like that. And there's a big blow-up and stuff. I get that, like, because that really captures, like, the intensity of what I imagine working in a kitchen like that must be. But I do think the show is really funny as well. Like, there's a lot, like, it's now it's a lot of dark comedy in it, but I, I do think it's really funny. I, I, whereas I get people being kind of like, there's a lot of drama to it, so I maybe would have put it in a drama category. I don't get the people going, it's a nonstop panic attack for two seasons. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I really no, I think that, that is just the fish episode. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the episode you mentioned, which I think is like the second last episode of season one, isn't it? 
Yeah. Where like yeah. I think the description on Disney Plus for it is like a bad day in the kitchen. It's something like re- it's like a one sentence thing. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. it's just like this thing where something goes wrong in the kitchen and like increasingly just tension ramps for and the episode's only yeah. like twenty five minutes. And it's just it is twenty five minutes of tension in a kitchen just ramping up until you yeah. literally feel it explode within yourself before it explodes within the show. Mm-hmm. But like yeah, yeah, like it is more drama than a comedy, but I wouldn't be like, How dare they call this show yeah. a comedy? <laughs> Or, or how dare they call it a comedy or the, you know, it's not a comedy at all because it is quite funny. I don't think, I do think it's, yes, a drama first uh, with a lot of comedy elements to it. But Also, uh, these people win like... no awards if you call it a drama. They all go to the succession people. So I, I yes. assume all these people are perfectly happy getting their Emmys because you called it a comedy. <laughs> I'm just saying it would be a great bit if they move to drama category for season three now that succession's gone or they do another season of better call saul where 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 these he's finally gonna get his emmy baby and no they move uh, into drama to take it away from yeah. him oh god the poor man it's the poor man so mad that he has not won an emmy and, and all and this is fucking... great because they do is it the emmys there's an emmy i think there's an emmy for like outstanding guest appearance or something like that mm. and, they should have pushed him for that just for the sake of getting him something. Um, but also, I think John Mulaney's great in that episode. I think, like, um, for, for all, like, as you said, there's a lot of guest stars that, that do show up, yeah. and a lot of, like, one-offs. Uh, they're all very good, yeah. so... Yeah. The, I, I love the brother-in-law that sucks. He's great. Yeah. Um, Abby Elliott's uh, partner. He's... He's incredible in it. Great to see Abby Elliott. I don't, I can't recall seeing her in much since uh, she left Saturday Night Live. She's really good. My um, my favorite one's Olivia Coleman because like that that Olivia whole Coleman's episode. Great in it. But like he just rounds a corner and there's Olivia Coleman standing there. It's very yeah, yeah, funny yeah. the way they do it for some reason to me. Yeah, it's really good. So I'll I'll be wrapping that up this week, and I believe season three is due at, like the end of the year. Um, so that'll be cool. Um, also, let's like, go. But before we move oh, on, sorry. episodes are like thirty minutes for the most part some would go longer yeah. one, like the, the famous one's an hour but like mm. for the most part you can bang through the two seasons of the show in like an afternoon it's perfect yeah for sure uh let's move on to mark who this week watched one of my favorite movies of last year uh and also mark, now one of my favorite movies of last year and i guess technically this year uh because the only films i've watched this year i can think of is this and mr and mrs smith um this is much Which better I've heard than that. Is not bad uh, oh, well, the, the TV show, I, I watched the first two episodes and I wasn't vibing with it, but there is also a, an astonishing lack of Angelina Jolie, so, you know, it's not I, that I have watched every it. episode of the TV show and it is fine. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> okay. Um, but no, The Holdovers, uh, I, I love this film. I thought this film was just just a big old warm hug over Christmas. It's it's my newer Christmas carol, mm-hmm. I'm declaring. Uh even though it's not a Christmas film, and Alexander Payne seems to be going to great pains to say it's not a Christmas film, and everyone's like, "No, you fucker, this is now a Christmas film." Um, Had you yeah. have you watched many Alexander Payne movies? Before? This was my first one. I'd never seen uh, uh, Sideways. I'd never seen. You should watch Sideways. Yeah, I, I mean, just kind of based off of the, that, this and the fact that I know that Paul Giamatti is in that, um, and his performance in this is just, you, you know, when you're watching a performance by someone and you lose focus of like you seeing the actor and you just see the character that they're portraying mm-hmm. um yeah. it, it's one of those it's one of those performances uh i i loved everything about this film i love the fact that 
you know, for a film, it's set in uh, the nineteen, the early nineteen seventies, and every aspect of that is is captured from the set design, the costume design, the title cards at the start, the fact that the entire thing sounds like a fucking Cat Stevens album. It's all there, and I think it's all kind of just done to perfection. I, um, it's just it's just such a warm film, and even though there's obviously you know like some tension there in terms of these two. Uh, 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 male characters, the the student and and Paul Giamatti's character, the teacher, and the obviously the the conflict that comes with them being stuck with each other over the Christmas period, but like the way that that relationship unfolds and they kind of discover about each other and learn why the other has the failings and flaws that they do and how they become better out of that, um, you know, just 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 a really really wonderfully crafted film that's. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you spoke about it on the last episode, and I said to Maria last night, I was like, look, I, I've heard good things about this film, I don't know too much about it, so we're just going to jump into it, and, you know, like, the three main uh, uh, cast, Paul Giamatti, Devine Joy Randolph, uh, Dominic Sessa, like, Dominic Sessa does this amazing ability where, you know, his character is a bit of a prick, but he constantly manages to, like, make himself come back to being... Uh, it's a combination of like being vulnerable, but also being very humane and, you know, then coming across as likable and sort of like going in a circle across the film. But the whole time, it's not just doing that for the sake of it. There's like growth that comes along the way. And like that handshake that you get between Giamatti and, and Cesar at the end, like, I don't know, the best handshake, firm handshake since Carl Weathers and Arnold Schwarzenegger for me. Uh, yeah, I just, just I, I, I thought this was wonderful. I, I went four and a half on it. Uh, absolutely worth seeing. Yeah, uh, it's really good. Have you seen it yet, Gareth? Nope. It's really good. It's really good. It's like, to me, it was like the perfect antidote to watching Saltburn. It's like where Saltburn is so loud and brash and like, just like, trying so desperately hard to be interesting and controversial and stuff like that. This is just, I mean, the the, the word everybody's using for this movie is cozy. And like, I, I want to go into it to find better words than cozy, but I don't know if there are. Can I say, without having seen it, I would say this is better than Madame Web. Boo! Now I'm never seeing it. I can never know. Like now, I can never rank any other movie. I, 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 uh, I have to stop seeing all movies because they just, I won't, I won't be able to not compare them to Madame Web, unless it's a Madame Web sequel, I guess. <laughs> Which I hope Give him half a the sequel be Madam Webb's or Madam's Web? Uh, I think it is Postmaster's General situation here. So yeah, it's Attorney it's General Garrett's kidney. Yeah. Comes <laughs> <laughs> for you, Jack. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on to what we played, and I've got nothing on deck. I've been playing Witcher Three and FIFA. <laughs> it's that time of the year, huh, Dave? I just don't, if it's real, I'll tell you one thing, and this was something I was going to say if I'd gotten Madam Web in on time. It's the most fuck you, it's January, January in quite a while for media, because they are just throwing shit out that they won't put up against big stuff. Alright then. <laughs> yeah. I just got nothing. You're, you're, right. you're, you're the host, Dave. You do have to throw to one of us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you can't just leave us in, in that that pit of anxiety with no. Three hundred plus anything. episode in, we have a slight format how we how we roll yeah. with this. You can't yeah, just sorry. say I've got nothing. The show is over. <laughs> so I've got nothing. I'd be really. You should just like fade up the outro music. This thing to fake the mouse. 
But I, I guess like, I guess I was, I'm editing the show this start, week. I'll, uh, I was yeah. gonna no, I was gonna start railing against like against how like just how bland loads of shit coming out. Like, nothing is grabbing me right now. We're talking games of, like, wise here, right? But in terms of like pretty much anything, because again, like Madame Web is coming out. Like I I don't even class Iron Claws a fuck you. It's January because it came out everywhere else on Earth like six months ago at this stage. Um, but like again, it's the typical January for games as well, where it's like there's been a couple of releases. There's a couple of interesting things out. Nothing's nothing's got my nothing's. I mean, I'm about to talk about Donkey Kong 64, so I can't fucking. Hell yeah! Hell yeah, (laughs) brother! All right, let's actually before that, I'll I'll just quickly do uh, the other one. So. Uh, the makers of Celeste dropped a, a two-week project that they did called Celeste 64, uh, which, as you could probably imagine, is taking all the kind of flavor and trappings of the original Celeste and turn it into a Nintendo 64-style game uh, done over a two-week project. And it is, for the most part, very faithful to the source material. I don't think it it fully nails the 3D uh, like platforming because like there's a very particular there's that that very kind of twitchy uh technical like style of of platforming that the original Celeste has that you know cuz like Mario I'm not going to say that Mario uh, 2D Mario games are like casual platforming because they're not because there are some very tricky platforming sections in Mario games particularly in Mario Wonder um but like you know Celeste go, goes more into the the kind of Super Meat Boy, real like bastard hard platforming style of of uh, platforming games, and this has elements of like that that it's trying to do, but I think it's a lot harder to make that successfully translate over into a three D space. So I think into um, you know again like it must be emphasised that this is a two week project, and the level of polish that's in this thing for a two week project is is pretty astonishing. Um, so you know if they wanted to turn this into like a full thing, fully fledged like 20 quid uh, uh product i'd be there day one because uh, like what they have here to begin with i think is like solid groundwork um but you know it's like a kind of big open space uh you're collecting strawberries um you, you know there's not not like a kind of level to level style flow it's 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 more open world more sandboxy um but it, it's fun it's it's a, it's neat and it's also free uh so if you've got itch.io uh, you can actually get it working on the Steam Deck pretty easily as well, so um, that 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 would be worth checking out. But yeah, so I've been streaming since the start of the yeah. year. A little game yeah, called get Donkey to what Kong. We're all here for Donkey Kong 64. Now, DK 64 is one of those interesting games for me where I generally didn't know anything about it going in. It's one of those games it's that elite. because elite. a lot of games. Um, that I haven't played over the years. I've at least seen in like a, a video essay or I've actively gone out to find footage of it and to kind of understand what it is. But DK64 never really popped up anywhere um, for, for me to kind of learn about it. And I obviously never went looking. But I, I was reading up um, for whatever reason, like the, the games that took the longest to complete on the N64 and Donkey Kong 64 was either second or third. And yep. I went, that's, that's fucking ridiculous. How can that be? This is a 3D platforming game. Um, and then about 10 minutes into this game, I quickly realized why this came to be. Um, I'm just going to, like, rip the Band-Aid off. Dave, I don't like this game. Um, yeah, I didn't think you would. I'm, I'm going to finish this game. And it's, it's the weirdest game where 
like throughout the 12 hours or so I'm into it so far, I actively dislike most elements of it. But because it's a game made by Rare, I'm continuing, guns. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I continue to be compelled by every design, uh, design choice and decision that has been made that's ended up being Donkey Kong 64. Like the idea to take uh, a series of like seminal greatest 2D platformers you've ever played in your life and turn it into a bit like Banjo-Kazooie, but yeah. 10 times more bloated and frustrating yeah. with the collecting mechanic. You gotta remember, this is the era it's coming in where like I everything know. everything was being battered into 3D and uh, again, Banjo-Kazooie was just like, oh, maybe this is the formula. No, no, I, I get it, I get it. But it's just fascinating that this thing comes like four years after Mario 64, yet the platforming in the camera is actively and aggressively worse than in Mario 64. Prime example that I ran into multiple occasions. I would run into a tunnel or a small confined space and the camera for some reason was like ahead of me and facing towards me. You press left and right on the, the C buttons to try and move the camera around you. But the camera is like an actual physical component in that space that when you hit the wall, it just bounces off the wall and you're staring at you again. And you literally like cannot get the camera to get around you. You have to go out of the tunnel, either ahead of you or behind you, get into a space that the camera can physically rotate around you, then go back through the tunnel. And, you know, hey, again, making video games is hard, but there should have been surely just the, the ability. In a, in a Donkey Kong 64 remastered world, you go into the tunnel, you keep hitting right C, the, you're telling the game, hey, just make the camera do an instant transmission and, and appear behind me so I can carry on my, my little journey. Um, that's frustrating and appears a lot. The platforming in general, like your ability, like perception is, is just fucking impossible to decipher where you're jumping or landing to. And everything feels horrible around that. I can kind of see why they made it more of a collector form because they just didn't at no point get the, the platforming nailed down. Here is the fundamental issue with Donkey Kong 64 for anyone who's never played it before. You have five characters. Uh, you only start off with, uh, you know, Donkey Kong. Donkey Kong. The other That's his full name, Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong 64. 64. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the other four characters you have to unlock over the first couple of levels. Once you have all five unlocked, here is kind of how a general flow of a level goes. You go into the level. You'll come into an area. You'll find one of the 65 different soft currencies that the game has that you can't remember what they're used for to purchase. You'll see that, oh, the bananas, they're red. Oh, the coins are yellow. Oh, the whatever is purple. That means that whatever character you are, hopefully you've got one that can go and collect. So if you're Donkey Kong, anything that's yellow, you can go and collect. So I can go and collect the bananas. They're yellow. Great. In order to collect the coins, I have to go find a barrel that's somewhere else in the level, sometimes annoyingly far away, because that's what the character select screen MacGuffin is. I have to then go change my character, go back to that area, collect whatever currency that is. If there's still another currency that I can't collect, go back to that barrel, then come back. And what should be like a, a 30 second thing of collecting these currencies is now like five minutes as I have to go find the barrel and come back. And it's just, oh, oh, it's really fucking irritating. Um, and it's just very interesting that rare and i know garrett i think you was on my second stream where you came in to say rare have made like one good game and then left which mm -hmm. i did appreciate that by the way um i would disagree with that statement 
I do think is, like I, you're I just you just there's no take you've ever been afraid to pop off, Gareth. I love that. The, the, the funny thing is, I was jumping at a work call, so I literally like, Mark, I popped it. I can't stay, but Rare has never made a good game. But <laughs> so literally just drop <laughs> it and leave. Um, I, I won't say they've never made a good game, but I do think Rare is the most overrated video game developer maybe ever. I, I think though their games have aged very badly, and then when they tried to do like throwbacks to them with like ukulele and even the like the ukulele spinoff, I think their design choices showed just how badly they aged. Just when you go back to play those games compared to some of their modern contemporaries, you're like, oh, you are like years behind. Even like the two D one, which I thought I'd really enjoy, it's like no, the, like the tropical freeze runs circles around you now. I'm sorry, <laughs> like like the Donkey Kong series has I moved you by. I don't know about overrated, but maybe I would go along with the most zeitgeist developer of all time. Like, they they got big at a time where the games they made... Like, if, if you were there at the time playing these games, these are, these are games that... Well, maybe not in the case of DK64, because I am over-egging my love of it a little bit for comedic effect here. But uh, I, I do think they're games that don't age well, but that's, I mean given the console they were yeah, on like, during the time they were on it. I, I think that's true of 98% of stuff coming off that thing. Yeah, before we even started recording, we were talking about, like, Tomb Raider. And, like, those three Tomb Raider games on the PS1 yeah. are, are relics of their time. Like, people will mm-hmm, yeah. people will try to pick those up and be like, what the fuck were games back in these yeah. days? So, they like, were... it is an entire era of games that if you do not have nostalgia for, and I wasn't an N64 kid. So, like, if, if you didn't play these games growing up, you will try to play them now. And there is yeah. such a wall for how these things expect you to interact with them that it, you're just like fuck this why is it like this this is like i won't defend dk64 but i've always had a soft spot for it because my christmas one year was dk64 and no mercy that that, that really does like to me sound like someone who had nothing to play for six months but dk64 and i guess no mercy and it's like i yeah. will get my money's worth out of this and in fairness yeah you do get your money's worth out of it because yeah. there is so much excess this, and, and bloatedness and, to the and this thing like it. if it's like in terms of both value for money and in terms of the fact as well like you are somebody who likes donkey Kong kong and are also 10 years old yeah yeah you know what i mean the critical eye we look at games now like if this came out now you know what i mean like even like graphics and all that stuff aside if a game exactly like this came out now i would not look at it the same way i looked at it oh sure then, um, but here's the thing as well like i um i've never you don't been see the man behind the curtain i've the never stars, been so. a a banjo uh truther i've never been a, the, the biggest okay fan of, of the banjo kazooie games but like I can at least go into that and like the flow because you know that and, and DK64 two two sides of the same coin, but one of them gets it right in terms of yeah, yeah. the kind of streamlining and the kind of constant yeah. like endorphin rush of collecting stuff oh. and the fact that hey if I see something I can actually collect it I don't have to fuck around halfway yeah. around the level to go and collect yeah. it you know oh look like banjo uh, particularly yeah the, yeah not so much Tui Tui is kind of just like like in today's day and age banjo tooie would have been an expansion pass rather sure, than the whole game yeah. by itself well that's by the that's that's by and by uh but like that first banjo game is like an, an all-time personal favorite uh whereas yeah. donkey kong 64 is nowhere close but it's something that i do i, I can't say i i don't have some fond memories and, of. and look it has some chance even though i never 100 percented it but it has some chance here like the grant kirk hope soundtrack I, hey it goes without saying you know it's got a wonderful soundtrack the endorphin rush that every time you find a banana in the commentator goes oh banana every time i hear that i'm like do you know what i'll keep playing this for another 10 minutes (laughs) so i'm up to like i'm up to 
51 bananas now. I will get to, because as far as I'm aware, it's 100 bananas and you can complete the game. So, I, so. Um, I am going to see this thing through. Um, can, and I'm going to keep up this trend as well of playing like games that are probably quite bad because I've decided, because now I found it for a fiver, I am going to play Final Fantasy 13 next on stream. Hmm. Um, until I lose my mind with that, most likely. But uh, it is the classic. Yeah. Everyone says it only gets good after forty hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe I'll I'll probably do a lot. <laughs> Which of I actually don't even think between. is the case. But, <laughs> um, but that, but again, like Final Fantasy thirteen. Again, that's another game where I know so little about it. I've seen so little in terms of footage of it. Like I, I generally don't know how that thing plays. Um, other than I just, I'm, I'm aware that it's very, very linear. But hey, I played Final Fantasy 16 now, so I'm up to speed with that. Can I ask you two questions? Go for it. Firstly, have you got to Beaver Bother yet? Uh, no, I'm up to uh, Gloomy. What the hell is it? Gloomy. Beaver Gally Bother Gallons? isn't a level. Oh, Beaver okay. Bother isn't a level. It's a mini game. And oh right! Believe me, believe me when I tell you, Mark. Oh no! Is, is BV bot? Is that the one where you, uh, you have the to hole? push them into the hole? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, I tried that <laughs> about five times, and I went, "It's yeah, just yeah. not fucking worth it." Yeah. Because yeah. those fuckers, they just will not go in that yeah, hole. Yeah. And I just yeah, as yeah. Mark was describing that, he had his hands on his head and a wide-eyed expression yeah. that really expressed his as sentiment. <laughs> As soon as he did the expression, I knew he'd played it. Because that is not something you forget easily. That was the closest I've gotten to scrapping that whole fucking series. Yeah, yeah. But it's the one thing, like, you look up any time somebody tries to 100% it, it's the one thing they say. Uh, It very infamously uh, became a meme when uh, H. Bomber Guy uh, did a charity stream of Donkey Kong to spite Graham Linehan. And he kept tweeting Gremlin and going, how do you beat Beaver Bobber? <laughs> uh, and then the other the other question I wanted to ask you is, how could you straight face get through 10 minutes of talking about Donkey Kong and not once mention the rap? Uh, I mean, because in fairness, I only watched the rap like on the first stream, but then because I'm doing you a... never a, skip it. You never no, skip but I'm it. doing I'm doing a load state, so I'm just loading straight back to wherever I was. So I've only seen That's it the once. But you, you know, stand look, to attention like rap. it's the fucking national anthem. The DK rap is is uh, a seminal piece of video game history, and um, I I will respect that. That alone puts at least one star onto the game, but it ain't earning much past that. Let me tell you, brother. Given how this episode is going, uh, I can't wait till uh, Garrett tries it later this year, and he tries to vote it for game of not 2024. <laughs> <laughs> beaver bother uh, remarkable yeah. achievement I mean, honestly, in video games a landmark it is kind of interesting because it does do yeah like a bunch of the bananas are hidden behind these mini games and a lot of them fall into the kind of like mario party territory of here's like a really rudimentary gimmick mechanic that we've kind of bolted on because like yeah. you'll have one where um you have snakes that are rotating fucking discs or whatever and you have to feed the melons which is a sentence and like you the cursor is like fixed in the middle of the screen and you can hold like up left to push it to the left but then when you let go it snaps back to the middle and it feels really weird but there isn't much challenge to it you just basically fire away as much as you want and just kind of do like a circle around the screen uh to to kind of feed all the snakes um and so some of them like that are like really kind of baseline, but then any time that you're kind of in the water, because here's another thing, right? Swimming in early 3D games, especially on the N64, it's a real fucking bad time. And guess what? Donkey Kong 64, it's got a whole bunch of swimming in it. Bunch of those mini games, nine but swimming. The level I'm on at the moment, mostly swimming, and it all fucking sucks. So there's that as well. Yeah. Um, 
Every Monday, 8 o'clock, watch me play through Donkey Kong 64. At least for the next couple of weeks until I get to Final Fantasy 13. Lightning, I'm coming for you. Are you going to play the entire trilogy? Um, well, I mean, I still need to play 10-2, so... Um, I'll probably... I, I'm, I'm going to work through all of like the mainline games, and then I'll see how I feel. Um, I'm about 30 hours into FF5 at the moment. Um, just been AP grinding, but I'm, I'm getting ready for that final sort. X-Def, I'm also coming for you. you. You fuck up that tree. Yeah, we'll do. Turns himself into a splinter. <laughs> fuck that. That's so <laughs> funny. The <laughs> FF5, story-wise, is fucking trash, but X-Def, uh, like, getting up there very quickly is one of my favorite villains in, in the series. Uh, actually, on Final Fantasy, never mind the things I was going to talk about. I played the demo for Final Fantasy VII. Oh, yeah. Rebirth. Yeah, I have, that, I have the 48 gigs of that downloaded. Insane for a demo. The demo isn't even that long. It's like an hour to 90 minutes. <laughs> Why is it that big? I don't know. Um, there is ways that demo asks you to interact with it that are some of the worst things I've ever done in video games. <laughs> There is particularly, and if listen, if you played it and you don't know that I'm talking about the the Mako Hoover, <laughs> like there there is a couple of moments in that because they make you play through the the the, the Nibelheim flashback basically. That's what the demo is, and there's a couple of moments where you go around with a Hoover shoving uh, Hoovering up Mako gas to clear up the environment, so you can use an elevator because logic. Um, and that Hoover is like the worst thing I have ever put my hands on in a video game, like. I could not believe how unpleasant and unmovable it was. It was like, and you've been playing Tomb Raider. Yeah, Tomb Raider controls better than this thing. <laughs> like, oh god! And like at uh, the, the very end of it, the, like you do the scene with the famous Zephyroth shot, where he's like it burning the town to the ground, and then you have the the thing in the fire. But like part of that is they make you slowly walk through that village again, and like then you crawl, and to crawl you have to crawl hand by hand by holding down the shoulder button one after another. And I'm like, oh, who is this for? What is this doing? Why it's is this like this? immersed by pressing the shoulder it's button. so unpleasant it's like it's I'm about a... that haptic feedback does it do the thing does it make the shoulder buttons feel heavier it does. As you push them and yeah, i hate it. it i hate it I, I hated that from the very start of the ps4 or 5 by the way so I, i'm a trendsetter on thinking that that haptic Don't feedback worry, you're gonna get ps6 in about two years time all right I know. uh but oh god like it's so unpleasant to interact <laughs> with had... a bunch we, we had, by the way, not to, to, just on that, uh, the PS5, the generation talk, it's very funny that we were in a group chat this week, Mark, where one of our friends optimistically said, maybe this will be the end of consoles now. I was like, <laughs> no, no silly rabbit. <laughs> there will be even more, even more often. Yeah. But yeah, uh, n not high hopes based on that FF7 or demo. Um, but, but... I, I can't remember, where did you stand on, on uh, the first part of this remake? I am not jack levels of hating it. But I I do have very mixed feelings about it. I thought, like, the combat was okay, felt pretty good, especially when they went to, like, one-on-one -on -one boss fights with Cloud. I thought, like, oh, this is actually pretty fun. Uh, the the way they made that game, and they do the same thing here, is, is that, like, it is the exact same areas you go through. They just stretch them to be bigger, and that felt a little boring for the most part to me, and the story is nonsense, and I hate it. Um, the, the, the idea that, that that entire first game is about you defying the fate of the original story or whatever bullshit they want to do to let them make changes to the next one is stupid. Just make the changes. I don't give a fuck. Like, if you if you don't want to kill Aerith in the second game, which is my prediction that I don't think they will, but uh, if you don't want to do that, like, just don't do it. You don't have to make a game giving yourself permission not to do it. It's so stupid. 
stupid. Um, but I don't know. I, I I heard someone say this week they had the idea that maybe they'll kill Tifa instead. I that would be very funny to do. So I'm on board. People would melt yeah, down. Yeah. People would fu- yeah. and like because like the the most interesting thing it's the reason it's the most famous thing about the original game is like it, they killed a major cast. Like you're playing Final Fantasy V at the moment, Mark. You know they did. They offed Gallif long before they offed Aerith. So like killing characters is, is has been a thing before. Well, they killed the fucking dragon that drags you along on the boat in like the first ten minutes. Yeah, like, they they didn't give a fuck. So, and like FF2, if you ever play that, that is literally a character dies every 15 minutes in that game. But, yeah. uh, like, the, it is the bravest choice of the original game to kill off Ares. So, you, you would have to replace it with a brave choice. If you took it out, it's like, no, you're just being bitches. You're, you're taking yeah. out one of the most interesting things you did and then doing nothing. So, if yeah. they did take that out and kill Tifa, I would be fully on board because it would be both interesting and people would lose their fucking minds. <laughs> Actually, I think what would be even more cowardice is if they killed off like one of the even like lesser interesting characters, like a Sid or something. Mm. That that would be the cowardice thing to do. Or they might kill Cloud and replace him with Zack. But either way, sure, I, I don't give a shit about Cloud. Do it. We'll see what they do with that. But uh, demo, not very high hopes. Uh, two other things I've been playing the last week or two. I played Anomaly Agent, which is a 2024 game. So there you go. Um, it is a 2D action platformer. You're running around. You're doing some platforming. You're an agent. Uh, Mark, you did say when we were talking about Prince of Persia, why doesn't every game give you the double jump? Mm-hmm. Double jump immediately in this game. So. <laughs> game of the year uh the action's pretty good the progression's pretty constant so you're upgrading your character they actually have this cool system where like they have dialogue trees where you can choose basically to give a positive response or a negative response to somebody while they're doing their terrible dialogue by the way it's that classic edge where it's like i'm a gamer i i i have this obnoxious tone that nobody actually likes but it's somehow in every game isn't isn't this like a constant issue with indie games where mm -hmm. like usually you have these games are made where anywhere between like two to ten people and obviously between the ten of them no one's a narrative writer like dead cells is one of my favorite games of the last five years every piece of like writing or like edgy third wall breaking stuff in that game is really bad <laughs> like mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. bad but that game rocks uh and this this is similar it's just all like yeah you know i'm edgy uh, shut up but like they do do this fun thing where like you choose positive or negative dialogue choices and they give you currency based on that so you get like positive currency negative currency the, the emotions turn into currency it's some nonsense but you can then turn the the positive currency into more health into like pieces of heart uh, Zelda style or you can turn the negative currency into more money to buy more upgrades so it's like it's actually a fun twist that like the dialogue doesn't matter and it never matters in most of these games but like you can be like oh I need to be a jerk right now I could really do it some more health or you know uh, or, or more money so like it's, it's fun to make those kind of choices but for the most part it's it's a nice little 2D action platform. Does, does that like play into the ending at all does it give you like alternative endings depending on how much of a prick or whatnot you be because usually you do one of those things like as, a, as an easier trade off maybe you get like a worse end ending out of it the ending does have a choice that dictates how the ending goes but it's not influenced by any of that it, it is the classic like would you like to do this or this and you choose one of them okay so no one's getting the chicken knife or the brave blade no ah where um... i got i got the brave blade <laughs> uh no that's performance on switch is a little a little dicey at times as well so we might want to try and get it on steam maybe it's a, it's a nice little seven out of ten 2d platformer you do action game you'll you'll have a nice time for like three or four hours and the other game i finished octopath traveler 2 well actually i didn't finish because technically the last boss is really hard but i finished all the individual stories of octopath traveler 2 and uh very good game 
very, very good game. I, I still don't get the people who are like, oh, it like completely overhauls the first. I think those people have just kind of forgotten what the first was like because it, it is basically the first just kind of ramped up a little bit. But the, like all things, like the dancer chapter is phenomenal. The, this game does this thing where when you get to the, the end of each of the chapters, you there's usually like a climactic moment in a boss fight. But they play the character's theme and then seamlessly play it into the boss fight, the song, and like with a seamless transition. And it's like every game should steal that. It's so good to go from like character motif into boss fight theme. And then even they go a step further with the final bosses of each chapter, where it's like character motif into boss fight theme, into mid-fight cutscene in which the boss fight theme then incorporates the character motif. And I'm like, oh, it's so fucking good. <laughs> uh, but it's it's a really good one of those. If you are a sicko who's looking for a good job, job system RPG. If you've perhaps played recently, Final Fantasy V, Octopath Traveler 2 is a, a good uh, road to travel down. Um, I, I might get to that in about 12 years' time. When you get a real hankering for jobs. Battle system in this yeah. game is really good as well, because it has, it has a thing where like you can you build up brave points, I think is what they're... It's based on the bravely default system in a way, but um, you, you're basically trying to, uh, ra- to uh, like stack up attacks so that you can break opponents and then deal more damage, and it's really satisfying, and it all feels really good. And you can turn the game up to two times speed, and everything goes faster. So thumbs up. Every game should have that. That's it. Every game should have a double jump, and every game should have a two times speed. Yeah. Yeah. It is the nicest thing that's added to nearly all of those. Um, it is not technically in the Pixel Remasters, even if there is some stuff that speeds everything along. But like like Final Fantasy VII, you can just play that on four times speed now if you want to. Oh, yeah. There's an official version where you can press a button and it goes four times faster. Thumbs up. All games. All games should be like that. If it's feeling tedious to you, you can go twice as fast. Good job. <laughs> As you can fit more of it into your 15 minutes. <laughs> That's true. It's, it's basically, <laughs> it gets 30 minutes into the Garrett method. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, right, we'll move on to the news. And, guys, our first news concerns uh, the rumors of 24 layoffs at Zaum, uh, which you may recognize as what I've described in our notes here as the shambling corpse of the developer of Disco Elysium. Disco Elysium, genuinely one of the greatest games of the last five, if not ten years. Uh, I, I think this studio has now become a performance art piece for people who didn't get what the game was about because like everything Netflix does with squid games yeah in kind of scenes very reminiscent of the fall of Revishal the city that the game is based in over the last couple of years we've had a hostile takeover of the company an ousting of the uh, the main creative people behind Disco Elysium the cancelling of at least three projects the studio was waiting on, one of which was the sequel to Disco Elysium, one of which was a standalone expansion to Disco Elysium, one of which was an untitled sci-fi project, and now, uh, on top of everything else, they're just sacking the staff that's left there. Um, in a very, like, ship of... Th- what did you buy? Like... Yeah. <laughs> You know, because we we haven't seen this level of mishandling of a studio since Telltale, right? That that yeah. that was my immediate thought was just like, yeah. how can you take something which just is so, <laughs> like it's it's a the bullseye is there, you know, you just yeah, yeah. knock it down every time. It's it's all there for you to make as much money as you literally, want. Yeah, yeah. Literally, all you had to do was like, if you were going to buy the studio, was like, right, just keep doing that thing. Yeah, yeah. And they were in the middle of doing that thing. <laughs> Like, it is absolutely insane. 
I um, believe um, one the... of the main people who was fired was one of the the last remaining main writers on Disco Elysium as well. Yeah, the, I, the I co-creators saw... of the game are long since gone out of there. But this was uh, one of the people who was willing to talk was one of the uh, the the writers. Yeah, I think I saw that today. Um, the whatever that was like, he spoke on the record about it. I haven't actually had a chance to look at it yet, oh. but. Actually, it was the very last writer for Disco Elysium. The Excellent. very last one that was still there. Fucking hell. If, if you watch the People Make Games documentary on all of this... Uh, oh, it's so good. He, he is one of the people like, that is so interviewed bad, extensively for so that good. as well. So like, you, you would know him from that if you've seen that Argo 2 look. Um, and yeah. yeah, when you watch that documentary, like there is like seven thousand rounds of fuckery going in every direction with this thing, and like listen, and yeah. th- there is accusations that it was a not a particularly good workplace either. That like I think that does yeah. have to be said, uh, uh, yeah. even regarding the original team. So like it just it just seems mm-hmm. like a train wreck in every possible direction. It could be a train wreck. Yeah. So what are we saying? Studio closure end of twenty twenty five? It's already gone, isn't it? What's the point? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like well. Yeah. I, I have a feeling it's this this conglomerate that owns them will try and sell off the rights to this game to the highest bidder at some point. It is like the ship of thesis <laughs> thing where hey, it's like Embracer. we have rebuilt this studio without any of the people that were there that made it the thing that people wanted. Is it still this studio? No. Yeah, well, do you remember um, THQ Nordic just like when that whole thing started, they were like, we're reopening Free Radical to make another Time Splitters game. It's like, oh, is anybody from the original Time Splitters game knocking about? No, <laughs> and now they've closed it again. But <laughs> they've closed it, and we didn't get a time splitter. No, we did game. not, and we never will. Oh, business! Business is smart. People make smart you, business Gabs. decisions all the time. You know what, Gar? I think you've nailed it there. Oh, business! <laughs> oh, business indeed. Oh, business. Okay. Um, I think what we'll do is we'll go Garrett, Mark, Garrett. Um, for these next three. So, um. Microsoft. Uh, everybody got themselves all in a kerfuffle saying this was the end of Xbox first party games uh, being on Xbox. This was the end of Xbox being in the console space. Uh, Garrett, what actually happened? You would have to think that maybe they did pivot based on just how little they announced. <laughs> like, like, you would have yeah. to think, like, the, the, the as you said, there was all this leaking that, like, all of Xbox's games are going to go third-party. They're not going to be exclusive to Xbox consoles anymore. They're going to come to PlayStation. They're going to get Starfield. They're going to get Indiana Jones. They're going to get all these big games that Xbox are making. And then what they ultimately announced, that four games, which have not been named yet, people believe them to be, I think, Sea of Thieves, Hi-Fi Rush, Grounded, and Pentiment, I think, are the four, right, that people are, yeah, are thinking think about? Yeah, I think Pentiment and Hi-Fi Rush have been pretty reliably leaked from a Nintendo side of things to journalists. Mm, and, and, like, there was, by all accounts, people speculated there was meant to be a Nintendo Direct this week that might have been bumped so that Microsoft could get ahead of the messaging on this kind of stuff. But yeah, it's going to be four relatively small games that are going to be brought to other platforms. And that is all they announced. They're like, it is just these four. It will not be our big games. It is just... And like... Cuphead came to Switch, you know, Ori came to Switch. Yeah. Frickin- you can log into Xbox Live through Switch to get your achievements uh, for a couple of the games they brought over. And even if you want to be like, oh, well, but this is them publishing them on PlayStation too. Let me tell you about Minecraft, buddy. Do you know who publishes yeah, yeah. that? <laughs> it's yeah. it's it's Microsoft. So like, it, it is like, does, it was weird that people were melting down in the first place because like, frankly, I don't have an opinion on whether or not Microsoft do this. Because like, you can say... Yeah. 
oh, I, if they do this, they'll make more money selling games on PlayStation. Okay. If they do it, they may might make less money selling games on Xbox. Okay. It's a business decision. Who cares? But yeah. I, I, I don't have a per obviously a personal stake in the matter. The one thing I will say is that like it's one of those things like when I suppose a wrestling equivalent is when WWE just put all the pay-per-views on the network. It's like you can't put that back in the bottle very easily. Mm. Uh, so if they went day and date that a lot of these things were coming out on every platform, it's one of the big... Like obviously the last little while, fuck all first party stuff has been coming out from the established Xbox studios. But like one of the, their whole business model for how long now has been to hoover up studios so that when they do start putting out games, they'll be on Xbox and Xbox only, at least for a time. Um, I feel like I, I will I, I will buy a little bit into your, your theory of them pivoting. I don't think the stuff they had was necessarily absolutely massive games on the list but i would say there is a couple more that would have been like maybe of a bigger size like maybe one big game around these four smaller games to make the make the splash they were looking for because like you said it does seem like there was an awful lot of hullabaloo and this big podcast appearance to to you know have a fireside chat with the fans and so like it feels like they were ramping up for something bigger than it turned out to be do you know what they should have announced they should have gone call of duty coming to playstation whoa that's bold i do you know i i think you speak there about like the the pivoting and whatnot i think something that the whole like activision blizzard deal there, there were two aspects to that one of them, the lesser spoken, was actually getting king and getting all the, the mobile gaming revenue coming through. And the other, obviously, was the idea of having Call of Duty and having that exclusive to Microsoft for however long. And obviously, you know, everything has come through and, like, the, the, the big sort of caveat they had to do in order to make this acquisition go through is, hey, Call of Duty can't be exclusive on Microsoft. And that's probably a huge blow for them in terms of their exclusivity content because what what are their exclusive games that are making the money i i i haven't played a lot of pentiment but you know from what i read it is 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 a, a well-regarded game hi-fi rush was one of our favorite games of of last year um you know the last couple of years like halo infinite was pretty good but obviously you know the, the speaking of studio fuckery that's another glaring example and this kind of goes to, to sony as well because obviously they're in the news as well at the moment and this whole kind of crisis about like what the future of video games will be everyone obviously forgetting that hey look look at nintendo over there they they've kind of got this figured out video games are going to be around for a while we're going to have consoles it's all going to be fine the key thing that these two studios seem to be forgetting is you just kind of need to have good video games and you need to have them like around for people to buy on top of that if you've got video games that people aren't particularly interested by it specifically in a cost of living crisis that we're in you're gonna have this issue where well of course sony you're not going to be selling playstation 5s because you've got no fucking games on there and money people don't have the money to spend on it anyway remember, remember we talked very recently on the show a bit there's a bubble that's getting dangerously <laughs> close to popping yeah. 1983 style yeah yeah <laughs> I feel like that day is coming closer because you also you had this xbox thing in the same week that sony went you know what no games this year like, which is just, and it, imagine, it's an insane thing to say. It's, it's like, no, zero first party games this year. Sorry. Yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. I, and again, like, 
you look at Nintendo and <laughs> they don't give a fuck about anything. Just doing their own thing. Doing their own thing. Them. They'll probably put four Kobe's out. Kobe games out this year. They're all still a couple of million each. They'll yeah, be fine. Like, we got Mario versus Donkey Kong out today. You go buy yeah, that. It's like, a nice little game, isn't it? This is the thing. Like for a for a, um, a company that spent a long time in that Wii U generation, being like constantly derided for being, you know, they're out of touch. They're the old dinosaur in the space. They're the only one of the fucking three that are operating within their means. Yeah. You know, like, and they're they're reaping the rewards in terms of like, obviously, they don't have as big a, a market share in a in a in in the same kind of way that Microsoft does. Uh, but in terms of like what they're putting in versus what they're getting out, they're absolutely delighted with themselves. And, and I'm just, I'm the quality it, of the first party stuff is consistently yeah, great as well. And I'm just finding it funnier and fucking funnier that like this idea that Sony and Microsoft are, are banking on or looking at like their next uh, the next generation of consoles and thinking about that. And it's like, and obviously it's kind of you know time is a flat circle and everything and you look back and you realize that actually the generational life of consoles was, was fairly lengthy anywhere from like four to seven years depending on the console and shenanigans of that particular publisher or uh, developer at the time but like we're what four years now into uh the xbox and yeah. playstation and arguably you think about it We've not even scratched the surface in terms of like what a what catalog of games for either of those yeah. uh, consoles should be. Yeah, it's weird. We've had two back-to-back generations, one that was like uncharacteristically long, and now one that looks like it's going to be uncharacteristically short by the time it's done. Like, for the last console generation, we got pretty much 10 years, nearly. Yeah, like, uh, but cause... also, you think about like the Sony PlayStation 4, it's a fucking wealth of, of games on there, great games yeah. on there. And you just look at the PlayStation 5, and I've realized I've, I've kind of hijacked from Microsoft to, to Sony, but to be honest, they're both in the same boat because they both have the same issues. They're coming from slightly different angles because, you know, Microsoft have hedged their bets, obviously, on all right, Game Pass on everything and get all the subscribers we can. But it comes back to, you know, this consistent issue of like, look, that line, that number can only go up so far. At some point, you hit a number and you're not going to go past that. So then at that, what, at that point, what are you doing? And obviously, they're not selling enough consoles to, like, generate enough revenue elsewhere. So at some point, yeah, you have to say, fuck it, we'll put Starfield on PlayStation, still see if we can sell a million copies there. Maybe they will. I doubt it. Um, yeah, so because, I don't because Game what... Pass can only get as big as the extra box ecosystem. And fair enough, yeah. it's on PC as well. So, like, in theory, it can go much larger than that. But, like, if you sell, tw- I think it's like 25 million Xbox Series X's that they sold at the moment, that is as big as Game Pass on console can get for the most part. Like, you have sold yeah. 25 million consoles, that is 25 million people you can now sell Game Pass to. And I'm sure, like, the, the sell through rate to that is actually really high, but it, it does, it's a firm ceiling that you cannot go higher, which is the reason, mm-hmm. like, their their overall strategy and it seems like their pivot was going to be game pass everywhere like every screen's a game pass screen via either cloud or console and that does seem to be what they've reeled back because as you said dave even if they were to only announce these four games now i do think they would have framed it as like the beginning of something new as opposed to no guys it's just these four we swear it's just these four there's no others yeah. as opposed to like i, these- I think they got the Go on, yeah, sorry. But like, as opposed to like, these are the four furthest along that they will commit to, and then they'll be like, eh, we, we've been shouted down enough, we won't do the rest. 
Yeah, I think they got the shits put up them about how much follow through there's going to be. And like like you said, because of that firm ceiling, I think it would be disastrous to their business if people thought that Game Pass was now a ship we need to run off. Because now, like the main reason I got my Series S was Game Pass. There is no reason for me to be an Xbox owner anymore if the stuff I want to play on Game Pass is just going to come to PlayStation anyway. Mm. Yeah. Though it, it is, I, a, it I, is somewhat a good advert for Game Pass to be like, you can buy, you know, all these big games for $70, $80 on PlayStation or yeah. just get them for Game Pass over here. They are available over I, there, I think, but they will cost you a lot yeah, more money. I think the, the, the realm to explore that makes a bit more sense in terms of dipping your toe in is the timed exclusive. It's like, yeah, we'll do some of these big games multi-platform, but like a year or 18 months after everybody else who isn't a fucking chump has played it over here on Game Pass... And like I am you know, absolutely that's... certain that Cuphead has done really well on Switch. I'm sure if, oh, if, yeah. if they look at those numbers, they're like, oh, there's a market for the right game on the right platform yeah. that we should look into well, after that's... our exclusive window. That's where I had originally bought it, day one on Xbox. Mark played Cuphead first on my Xbox, and where I eventually played and beat Cuphead was on my Switch several years later. And, like, I, I um, only played Ori 2 when I came to Switch, and, like, that game is fucking phenomenal. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And I probably would have played it if it didn't come to Switch, so I don't know. And, and how many times have you doubled people's profits by buying something on a platform that you didn't realize was on Game Pass? <laughs> yeah, I will single-handedly keep the entire industry afloat, personally. <laughs> Never mind Damn the right, bubble bursting. I will hold that bubble on my back, sir. Yeah. My, uh, my, yeah. my biggest well, concern uh, about all of this, though, is, uh, like, how soon do we get a potentially significant hike in terms of subscription uh, prices it's inevitable um, yeah yeah it's inevitable it's, ine- it's inevitable i think it'll be like a creep like netflix i don't think it'll be a all of a sudden it's double yeah because like, yeah, I, it will be I like just... every year or two it's like and now it's two bucks more expensive and now it's two bucks yeah because it's already it's already a, it's already a few quid more expensive than when i started getting it because i think the one issue and and i think this is a long-term issue i, I don't think it's going to like be the problem tomorrow but as as you have, like, our generation um, gets kind of more and more into the, hey, you know, I'm more than happy just to kind of sit back and play Pokemon Red on, like, my little stupid retro handheld device. Or as more people get access to a Steam Deck and, you know, the, the, the wealth of not just Steam, but the ease of access to stuff like the Epic Game Store and the amount of free content they have on there, the amount of, like, insane offers you can get on stuff like GOG and whatnot, and just that... Ability to, you know, all right, I'm not playing like the newest games that are coming out, but hey, there's like 30, 40 years of history of stuff that I can go and play. I don't need any of this new stuff. And I think there is certainly a, a whatever line that's there in the future, there is this line where, you know, people of our age and older or whatever are just like, we don't need new stuff anymore because there's not actually that much out there and it's just not worth like spending 70 to 100 quid. And then you've got like the the newer generations where I mean, they're just playing Roblox and Fortnite and whatever else. And you know, with these two kind of big markets that are sitting here and over there, there is a significant problem for Microsoft and Sony, and obviously not so much Nintendo about like how the fuck do we draw those people in? And as we continue to be in a cost of living crisis, upping your subscriptions shelling out new fucking consoles every couple of years that are 500 quid and just not having enough games on them uh i'm, I'm not confident about the future for either of these two at the moment well let's uh pivot away from uh, the unsustainability of the gaming industry mark and talk about embracer group 
Oh boy, it's never going to be a dull I've set moment. The bar for, I've set the bar for segue of the year there. Never going to be a dull moment with these fuckers this year, is it? Uh, Embracer has reaffirmed its unrelenting commitment to maximizing shareholder value after laying off almost 1,400 workers in six months. If there isn't a more egregious and fucking sickening statement or sentence that I'll read this year. You know what? I have been giving out about everyone and their fucking din- dishonest structural alignment bullshit. At least they're being honest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you, you gotta give it that. They're being upfrontly I'm, no, no, evil. No, you're not Garrett. You're not Garrett. You don't gotta hand it to him. I'm sorry. You, <laughs> you don't. don't have to hand you it to him. You do not have to hand it to them. Uh, I will the- say we were talking about it off air, but uh, if anybody uh, wants a little bit of a giggle, please look up Greg Miller slamming Embracer with the Embracer CEO looking on very displeased at the Dice that's, Awards last that's good night. Stuff. Yeah, the company provided an update on its sweeping restructuring program in its fiscal report for the third quarter ended December 31st, 2023, and revealed it laid off another 483 employees during the last quarter. Can we find this out, means- by the way, who came up with the word restructuring? Who, who came up with that euphemism for this act? Because that person should be, uh, like, whipped in the streets and shamed. He's probably a CEO somewhere in, in Silicon Valley currently. Evil. That means that the Swedish conglomerate has made precisely 1,387 layoffs throughout quarter two, 904 job cuts, and quarter three of 485 job cuts, equating to 8% of its total headcount. Although the company said the restructuring program is making, in air quotes, good progress, it feels it's unlikely to be achieving its target of bringing net debt below uh, $761 million by the end of the current fiscal year. Um, uh, Gareth, I'm pleased yeah. to say that if your college hasn't rejected your access to JSTOR, uh, if you can get yourself a copy of the Annual Review of Sociology, Volume 32, pages 171 to 189 in particular, you can read a paper on organizational restructuring and its consequences, the historical and structural history. Oh, good. Uh, and find out the answer to that question. I wonder, do I still have access to JSTOR? I still have a, a, a university email, so maybe I do. <laughs> Yeah, I still have a free Irish Times online subscription. Whoa! I still think I use yeah. like my Microsoft Office through my old college account. <laughs> Hell yeah! Oh dear, but yeah, uh, Embracer bad uh, once again. Continue to be bad. Will endlessly be bad, and will eventually sell off all the stuff to Microsoft, who will also continue <laughs> well, not to I mean... make any games themselves. <laughs> but hey, maybe this uh, Tomb Raider remaster trilogy. Maybe that'll bring in a couple of quid it's pretty good i think that i think it'll do well even though like i i, I like how they uh, we were talking before that we started I, I do like how they more or less left the core game as it was they're just like we'll touch up the graphics fix the controls a little bit but the game's the game go play it find out why it was good and or bad what what are like the embracer games coming out this year i have no idea because <laughs> that's another thing as well i don't it's probably because they, they own so any? much that it's hard to remember what it is that they actually have coming out. Because they do like those showcases every so often, or at least like the THQ stuff does. <laughs> but every time Sorry. I watch them, I'm like, who could possibly play any of these games? I tried to get a list, and the first thing I found is from Games Radar yesterday. Embracer Group quietly cancelled 29 unannounced games and shut seven studios within six months in 2023. That's good. That's the. I wonder how many tax rebates or tax breaks they get from that mm-hmm. there's so many studios scrolling this wikipedia page <laughs> the first, do, you know the, do you know the way when you go on google it goes oh is this what you were trying to ask or this is what other people ask 
one of the number one people also ask is, does Embracer Group make games? <laughs> uh, I feel have, like this is September though. 2023. They have 129 dev studios. Man, Imagine like, trying to manage that. How do you? You can't. They're you, not. Well, yeah, they're, they're not. not. They're just <laughs> firing people. But like, e- even if you were trying to like be like good businessmen, it's like, how do you like actually manage that many studios and keep them on task and make sure they're actually making games? It's impossible. But you know, but but you know what the sickening thing is, well, right? Even if that what was it, like two billion dollar Saudi deal that they were hedging all of their fucking bets on, mm. even if that had gone through, you still know that they would have laid off. Maybe not like eight percent of their workforce, but I would have said at minimum at least four percent. Mm. You know, like that still would have happened. I uh, they're still saying they're still bullish as of the end of January that they're releasing. I think ninety three games in the next couple of years. Good luck to them. On, on what consoles? No, not good luck to them, <laughs> sir. <laughs> good luck to the talented developers that are in fucking limbo here oh, constantly. Boy. But uh, not good luck to them. But uh, yeah, yeah, fuck Embracer. I know we say this uh, every time we talk about them, but I feel as strongly about that statement as the first time I said it. Mm. Perhaps more Uh, so. Garrett, Garrett, wind us up with some happy chat. Switch 2, Electric Boogaloo is coming our way, but not exactly when we thought. Yeah, all the rumblings, all the rumors were that we would get Switch 2 by the end of this year, and now it seems to be Q1 2025. They don't know yet whether or not the reporting was just inaccurate or whether that is to account for a delay, but either way, that people do now seem to believe that the Nintendo Switch 2, or whatever it will be, will be released Q1 next year, which would make sense given the Switch itself was released Q1 2017. It was released in March. So they might try and line that up being like, it worked really well last time to release it in March. Let's do it again. Hey, look, it's cool for me. It gives me a couple of extra months to, to get that, that few quid together. Um, Just want to point out let, as well, uh, Axies uh, uh, scheduled tentatively for a quarter one release next year. On just, the Nintendo Switch 2? Do you know Do you know the release date, Mark? Are you, have oh you my God, are you saying it's... A- are you saying it's a launch title? Yeah. No, I, I'm saying, Nintendo, if you want to send me a oh. dev kit for the Switch 2, that would be swell. <laughs> Link to the cast. Exclusive. Exclusive. <laughs> uh, the, the interesting part of that, though, is that Nintendo don't have a ton of games announced for the back half of this year. And everyone everyone no. just assumed like that's because the Switch 2 is coming out. And the, well, well, did you... I don't know if you read what Jeff Grubb said today. What did he say? Uh, but Jeff Grubb says he seems to believe that... Uh, Metroid Prime is this year. Really? Because like my um, long-standing prediction yeah. has been Split Gen, that it would be a launch game for he, the, the next Switch. He, and... he's, he said he's gotten wind of a massive marketing budget being put in for the like a couple of months from now for Metroid. That is super interesting because as we've mentioned on this show before, Metroid has never been the cash cow for Nintendo. So the idea of leading off with that that's either a case of like that's either just the game that's there and we're going with it or maybe like because of the the metroid prime remaster and metroid dread maybe they've done well enough that they think that they can go with it i think i go along with what i want to go on to give credit to garrett and whether you said it or not garrett i'm giving you the credit anyway but at one point we were having discussion about you know what was going to launch on switch whenever it launches the end of this year or next year I think it's going to be the whatever the next Odyssey is, whether it's Odyssey 2 or the next thing, the next big flagship Mario, because we've got Zelda was the other one. You know, that's come out now. Um, 
And there was a lot, I remember there being a lot of talk that we were going to get a quick turnaround on whether it was Odyssey 2 or what the next thing was. And then all that went quiet for a long time. I feel like that's going to be the one or or potentially the Mario Kart. We've thrown all the shit at the wall. Nintendo Kart that people have often wondered would they do. And we, we are now um, done with Mario Kart 8 finally again until they announce like seven more yeah. billion tracks coming to it this year. It's like we actually had like mm-hmm. a year longer switch than we planned so we're going to add more carts to Mario Kart. Uh, yeah. But like this year they have Princess Peach coming out next month. Uh, we mentioned Mario and Donkey Kong is out today. And there's a, a remakes of Luigi's Mansion 2 and Paper Mario A Thousand Year Door. Those are like the games they've announced. I think that takes you through like June. So they have nothing announced for the back half of the year. And I assume they will have something. They will probably have the mythical Wind Waker Twilight Princess HD versions. Will they finally be unleashed to, to tow the Switch to its death? But yeah, Metroid Prime would make a sense as like they, they could hang a, a Christmas window on a Metroid Prime. Uh, Would it be the second straight generation where Nintendo have released a Wind Waker polished HD and then almost immediately killed the console straight afterwards? That is, that is tremendous. It was, it was one of the last things I bought on Wii U, I think. Uh, Twilight Princess did come out after it, so Twilight Princess is closer yeah. to the death of the Wii U, but both were remastered okay. as the Wii U were di- was dying, so yes. <laughs> Can I say, I am greatly offended that neither of you two have yet to mention uh, MC Horace and the potential of a Switch, everybody Switch 212. Hmm. Oh, they. Uh, look, you know me. You know me, Mark. I'm sitting here hoping for Arms to Helix's <sighs> Revenge. I oh would God. like a second Arms. I'm totally on board. That that I, game was good. Uh, it was, wasn't it? Do you we know talked what? about Do you know what? When, when when like the the kind of switch obituaries start happening, like I imagine every single article somewhere along there will be like like the unsung hero of the switch is Arms, and it's just yeah. it's just categorically true. Banger of a theme song. Ready to admit. what a song. Um, uh, right. do you know what, do you know what? how has helix not ended up in mario kart yet mm. or smash well smash that's smash. a perfect smash character smash got yeah. min min though they did smash did get an arms character but it just wasn't helix which is a just got the a, worst a one travesty or not helix the best just one. doing he's like Woo! I, <laughs> I think when 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 so we got bad. to when we got to helix on that game that day mark we needed. We paused. The, we were a full five minutes recovering from seeing Helix for the first time. Okay. Tell you, Nintendo like flubber ass shit. You know, what 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 Sony got over it? Always oh, a great game. Oh, it's a zombie game. Um, everyone's sad. Blah blah. blah. Nintendo now we got Helix. Fucking gelatinous Mr. Blobby with fucking strands of DNA. Fucking nightmares. Amazing. I don't. I don't even think this is the first time we've ended a podcast talking about how much Helix rocks. But I'm happy to leave I it there. Surprised it's not every podcast, to be perfectly honest. <sighs> no, and I'm talking be, every podcast, be. not just ours. <laughs> You're not just ours. Fucking Joe Rogan should be signing off every week with Helix rocks. That'd be a significant improvement. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Uh, right. Okay. For uh, link to the cast this week. Thank you very much uh, for listening. And if you want to keep up with the show when it's posted and chat to us about the things we've been uh, covering on the show at link to the cast, where you need to go on Twitter individually. I'm at the day today. Mark is at Lithium Project. Jack is at Jack Lizell and Gar is at Gar Kidney. Thank you very much for listening to another episode. We shall see you again next week. Bye bye. <laughs>